Hey folks, uh, I'm here with uh, Commissioner for the Department of Environmental. Oh gosh, help me out here. Conservation. That's Conser- well, or as you know, President Trump the calls EC- it, the Department of the Environmental. Okay, right, right, exactly. So, Department of Environmental Conservation. You got it. Okay, so DEC. there's the other one that's like DCCED, right? That's Correct. The that's uh, com- commerce. Commerce. Okay, so Department. It's a lot easier to say commerce. Environmental conservation. You're the commissioner designee. I am. And um, what most people maybe don't know is we go back a long way. We do. Many, many years. and Good to see you, my friend. I, I'm, first time, I, well, I saw you a few weeks ago. You were kind of outside the Capitol. That's right. Well, you you should, everyone that's you, listening, you should see the Speedo he has on right now. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's beautiful. It's, we're in this nice office, and we got to get some pictures on the walls, though. You're still <laughs> we do. new. We do. Um, so I saw you once uh, going to the Capitol. You had your, your posse or your, your people around you. My peeps. Yep. It's like you were having a meeting. The, um, team, the team I have at, at DEC is amazing. Bunch of hardworking scientists, and it's, it's been an honor to work with them. And you have a science background, right? I do. I didn't even realize that until um, after you got appointed, we were talking about your background with your biology degree, right? Yep. Got a degree in biology from Carleton College in Minnesota. While I was going to Carleton, I came up to Alaska and uh, worked on uh, otters that had been oiled during the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Uh, after I graduated from Carleton, I came up here and uh, to go to graduate school in environmental science at APU and worked at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service the National Biological Survey, and then the University of Alaska, and all of those before I went to work at, at the Resource Development Council. So that's how we met. So when I first started working in the IT industry, because of that industry and a lot of our clients, I attend regularly like Resource Development Council luncheons and Alliance and Chamber, and there was one meeting, and it was the summer of 2011, and you were at the time the chair of the Resource Development Council, yep. and it was during the whole... I guess back then it was HB 110, probably. It was, and I think it was a, a forum put on by Dan Fagan. It was a, yeah, a huge one of the Captain Cook. Captain Cook, yeah. And and at the time that was when the Aces was kind of people were trying. A lot of folks wanted to change that, and right. there was a big debate about keeping that or not. But at the time it was kind of like a broken record. I mean, it was everybody was talking about it. Any one of these forums, and at the end of it there was a panel, and you were on the panel, and there was many people on the panel, and you said. I'm sick of tired. I'm sick and tired of hearing all the same people come to the same meetings and, you know, complain and bitch and moan about the problems. Who's willing to run for office right now? Raise your hand if you're willing to run for office and do something about it. And I think I offered to pay the $30 registration fee. You did. For anyone that was willing to do it at that point. And it was, I mean, this wasn't like 20 people. This was like a packed room yeah, at the Cook. It six was or 700 hundreds people. Hundreds of, yeah. Yep. It could be almost maybe a thousand people. And, I'll never forget this. Literally, no one raised their hand. Out of the entire room, not one person raised their hand. And that was um, an epiphany moment of my life where I said, well, shit, I mean, these are the people you want to run, you know, business people and successful people. And and then I said, well, I'll run. So, Jason, you're responsible for me running. <laughs> I'm proud of that. <laughs> running for so maybe, maybe Maybe somebody might be like, Jason, what did you do? Well, listen, I, uh, Jeff, you're a smart guy. You're, uh, you believe in Alaska. You believe in the opportunities we have here. And I, I, I've supported you and, and I think that, uh, you'd, you'd make an excellent representative down here. Maybe, maybe someday I, I have run twice for the Senate, but being in the building a lot the last few months, I've, um, kind of finally understood that I'm a house guy. <laughs> it's a lot more fun in the house, baby. Yeah. Well, I, Senate's a little, 
little stuffy, a little, little not, not as, not as high energy. It's it's interesting. You know, there's some high energy folks in both the House and the Senate. There is, but, but the Senate, just the way the body and the makeup, kind of the the institution, it's like move, things move slower. They're a lot more methodical. Having to run every two years will mean that you have to maintain that high level of energy. That's true because you win, and then right away, you know, you gotta, people are already talking about right now running against some of these folks. Exactly, it's already being discussed. So. Uh, okay, so let's talk about um, you a little bit more. So you were just appointed, I guess, in December, right? In December, yep. To December the... 3rd, I started working. It was the Monday following the the big earthquake. And oh, God. working, coming to, coming to work at DEC at our office down on Cordova. We have that a building that survived the previous earthquake. And you can tell the, some of the... Some of those build- windows got knocked out, right? On this well, last we, one. We actually, on this this last one, we uh, the earthquake knocked over all sorts of stuff, filing cabinets and plants and cubes. And that next day, a major windstorm blew off the roof of the building, and oh then God. it rained. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, there was a significant damage. Uh, the building is inhabitable, and we're, we're in it fine now. But that was a interesting interesting first day of work to, to have to deal with that. And then, of course... The, the concerns people had, were there any oil spills, any broken mm-hmm. uh, storage tanks for, uh, or any impacts to drinking water? And those are all things that fall under DEC. So it was a, a started out uh, in, the, in the fire. Yeah, so, uh, right so quakes can, and I didn't really know about this, but when they ground shakes really, really hard, it can um, temporarily affect the water Absolutely. Table, right? the, the silt or the, how does that, I mean, how does that work? It shakes it up? It, it does. And it can cause arsenic to get in the water. And uh, DEC oversees drinking water programs of 25 people or more. So not individual uh, water wells, but we got a lot of calls from folks in the community that were worried and we helped them figure out, you know, where they could take their water for testing or, or what they needed to do. But yeah, it, it's uh, nothing, nothing more important than drinking water in this state. So we're all good from that. I, well, I mean, there's there's still some concerns, and you know, I think, uh, uh, I mean, as far as the large drinking water programs are concerned, yeah, we're good. But individuals, I, I can't tell you if so individuals every individuals to, they they should get their water tested for sure. If they have a well, they have to on their own kind of get it tested. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, so when I heard, so I heard your name, you know, I hear things sometimes, and you do. I heard, yeah, people tell me stuff, and uh, I heard your name in consideration, and um, I'll be honest, I I really thought uh, based on your background, I thought. Um, you were going to go to DNR, Department of Natural Resources. Um, and then they announced Commissioner of um, Environmental Conservation. So let's talk a bit about your your background. You talked about your education. Sure. Um, but let's talk about you were the head of the Resource Development Council. I was. For how, many, how many years? So I, I actually started at RDC as the projects coordinator, and I, I ran an uh, educational nonprofit at the time called AMRF. Alaska Mineral and Energy Resource Education Fund, but it eventually became ARE, Alaska Resource Education. Oh, that's my, my, that's my our, our, fr- our common Ella. friend Ella runs yep, that now. She yeah. runs it. So I, I am actually great. the Executive Director Emeritus of ARE. Well, very great, or good organization that teaches kids about, you know, resource development. And, yep, you know. it was, I, I loved it. I had a passion for that. And following that, I, I became the Executive Director of RDC. And for about five and a half years, I, I ran RDC. Uh, after that, I had the opportunity to go and work for Anglo American, who was a funding partner on the Pebble Partnership. Worked for them for three years. After they, and they're a big, huge global. Company. They are. They have mines all around the world. I got to visit them. Uh, mines in Chile and in South Africa and they're, Australia. They're, they're and, from South America, right? They're a South African. So, South, uh, uh, Rio, Rio Tinto, South. 
Rio Tinto and Anglo are both based in London um, now, but uh, Anglo American has its roots in South Africa. Okay. But they got their funding from Anglo from England and America, uh, so that's where the name Anglo American came from. But worked for them for three years. And when Anglo pulled out after having spent $750 million, they took my job with them. So I... Could you have gone somewhere else or... Uh, I mean, I could have, if I, but they didn't, they don't have any other operations in uh, the United States. So I, I, it was best for me to, to remain in Alaska. And Could you have gone maybe somewhere globally or? Uh, I mean, potentially, but generally when you're, you want people just like we as Alaskans want Alaskans to work in our jobs. Uh, work in the oil industry, the mining industry, the fishing industry. We want Alaskans doing those jobs. They're the same type of thing. The, the opportunities would have been there, but it's best to have people from the host countries working on those projects. So anyway, after uh, about eight months off, uh, I then eventually became the um, Senior Director of Land and Resources at Siri Cooking the Region Incorporated, an Alaska Native Corporation, regional corporation, and I oversaw their uh, lands and uh, resource department. And so I had been there for four years. I developed great relationships with the, the tribes, the village corporations, and we did a lot of great work on uh, carbon offset programs and on uh, building relationships with the village corporations. And after that, I got a call from the governor asking if I'd want to become the DEC commissioner, so, and I'm, I'm ecstatic at the opportunity. So how did that work? Were you, I mean, was it unexpected or was it maybe you... Kind of, I mean, how did it work? Did you get during, a phone call? Or? During the campaign, I supported the governor. Uh, and during the campaign, I had a number of people that I've known that said, hey, would you be interested in being a commissioner uh, for this administration? And I mean, absolutely, to help advance this governor's uh, desire to show Alaska's open for business, to try to uh, improve the predictability of our permit process, to try to draw investment to Alaska, diversify our economy, bring more folks in and grow our state. Uh, and I, I was all in, I was ecstatic at the opportunity. So I, uh, when he, when he called and offered me DEC, I, that was, uh, an easy answer. So, um, I think part of the reason I want to do the podcast is because we go way back our bodies and Absolutely. I want to talk about, uh, especially that running for office deal. Right. But, um, so, some folks, you know, because you're kind of, a lot of people see you as kind of the pebble guy. Right. Um, and there's been some concern by people that, you know, well, DEC permits these projects and, you know, when you had the house hearing a few, I guess it was a few weeks ago or about a month ago at the end end of January. So I I watched that actually felt, I mean, it was, it was pretty brutal because you went and then there was all this testimony from, I assume folks you don't know or correct. I I knew none of them and you were just, you can't respond. Right. So correct. You're just kind of sitting there like, Damn, you know. I, I could respond to the legislators, and they they asked great questions, but not not the public. When not they... not the public comment. It was it was just uh, these people that had never never met me talking about my character and uh, you know assassinating my uh, integrity. And I, you know, it was frustrating because they didn't know me. They don't know my past history. They don't know the involvement that I had working on the Exxon Valdez oil spill, uh, building relationships with the conservation community, sponsoring awards with the Sea Life Center that, uh, uh, recognizes uh, projects that are doing good things for our oceans. The Tileston Award, which I founded with the Alaska Conservation Alliance, that recognizes projects that are both good for the environment and the economy. The relationships I have with the Alaska Native community, I I have prided myself at building those relationships and making sure that uh, 
that you try to find win-win situations if possible and and hearing the perspectives of all Alaskans that's that's my reputation and so for these people to have come out and you know talked about how I shouldn't be in this position yeah it was it was frustrating um, so, so as they, you can imagine oh no I mean I, I went through you know the whole thing with the you speedo did. gate and you did you, you, you sometimes you it's so frustrating seeing somebody who you've never met before say something that's that's it's one thing if they say something to criticize you for something that's true but it's another thing to, to say something that's not true right it's just totally untrue and, and, it's very, and to be fair yes i worked for anglo-american on the pebble project and i'm not ashamed of that that said um i currently don't own any stock in any alaskan uh in any company that's uh in the mining industry in Alaska or in the oil and gas industry in Alaska, I sold them all. I didn't think it would be appropriate if I'm regulating them to have any financial interest in them. I, uh, I have no doubt that I will look at anything that comes across my desk, be it for pebble or any project with a very, uh, tough eye. I'm going to scrutinize any project very thoroughly and, and the fact is, I actually think I'm an asset to this administration, and Alaskans should think of that, of me in that role, that I understand the mining industry. I know how things can go really well, and I know how they can go really poorly. I'm going to be able to bring that expertise as I evaluate projects like Pebble and make sure that if they are going to be allowed to go forward, that they're doing it right, that the necessary precautions are put in place, and that if they can't prove they can coexist with subsistence resources, with the commercial fishery, or with any other resources, that they shouldn't be given their permits and they won't be. But that's the burden of proof is on them. But from a predictability of the permitting regime perspective, we any project deserves a right to go through that uh, due process. And so in the, uh, Jeff, there's a study called the Fraser Institute that evaluates jurisdictions around the world that uh, Alaska's in the top five for our geologic potential, but we rank behind the Democratic Republic of the Congo in the predictability of our permitting regime. Yeah, I've, seen, I've seen that. We don't, we don't want that. We, we want people coming here and investing, not, and, it's it's very uh, I'm so, I'm psyched to be here to be able to try to improve that investment climate. So so as you know, controversial as, as Pebble is, I mean, there's people who feel very strongly on both sides, and they should. You you can I mean, kind of I mean, you, you can understand some people's concerns, especially Absolutely. those who don't know you or your your background. That they said, oh well, this guy, you know, he's worked for Pebble and he's in resource development. Um, you know, should he be you know the regular? I mean, you can understand the concern from the public. That's, you know, you've seen them in the, well, the I mean, hearings. I, and if, if you've had a job in the past, you should be, uh, I mean, I'm, like I said, I don't have any uh, attachments to those companies right now. Do I know the people that work there? Absolutely. But uh, if you are going to be uh, criticized for previous jobs that you had, and that brings a level of expertise that I think actually qualifies me for being in this role, I mean, that's, that is what it is. Well, I think most folks, you know, and including myself, I didn't know you had a, the science background and you know, the Exxon Valdez background and the other, the other, you know, stuff you did, which, um, you know, when people want to believe something and I'm guilty of this myself, you want to believe something, you, you look at everything that leads you to that conclusion and you tend to avoid things that maybe challenge that idea. So I think, uh, you know, the science background and other, everything else we discussed is actually, actually a big part of this job. And well, and the other thing I have is I have an amazing team of scientists that work for me that I'm going to defer to. It is imperative that we make sure that the permitting regime we have in the state is timely, is science-based, 
is legally defensible and is done in a way that allows the companies, if they can prove they can do do the things that we require, to move forward with their projects and invest in the state and employ hardworking Alaskans at, at their facilities. But again, they have the burden of proof to show that they can do it right. And I've always said, you know, I worked in the resource, I worked in the oil industry for a while and before that IT industry, but a lot of our clients were kind of resource development, oil and gas or mining. And I've had some friends who worked at Red Dog. So you, you see the benefits of, of, and I think most people in the state wouldn't disagree with, you know, po- responsible resource development does great things for people and it does great things for the government because that's how they get, you know, tax their taxes. Absolutely. In our state, especially uh, that uh, you look at Red Dog as the example you brought up, they have over 50% shareholder hire, uh, Nana shareholders that work for that project. And they are, uh, there is fish downstream from that mine that didn't used to live there. The water is cleaner uh, than was naturally occurring. That's how we do it right in Alaska. And in in the lives that we live, we use cell phones and cars and airplanes, you name it. Those items require natural resource extraction. And those resources, as the population of the world continues to grow, have to be developed somewhere. My my environmental ethic is think globally, develop locally. We yeah, have a cho- I've heard you say that before. We have a choice of where we develop those resources. We can do it in third world nations that don't have the same environmental oversight that we have. They don't have the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act. Heck, they don't have child labor laws. We do. So if we say no to projects in Alaska, be it Anwar or Pebble or uh, you name it, that demand will be met elsewhere around the world. Now, I'm not saying that that means we should rubber stamp those projects. What that means is uh, no one's going to do it better. And when let's take uh, the Alieska pipeline as an example. When people drive the Hall Road and they park their rigs, they put sorbent pads underneath them to make sure that they don't uh, spill anything on the tundra. When they fill their rigs up, they hold containment vessels there. And if they spill so much as a teaspoon, they report it to DEC. Now, I have relatives in the lower 48 who still change their oil. And when they take the spent oil out, they throw it on the road to keep the dust down. Oh, yeah. And, no, I mean, I I've, mean I've, I've been on the slope and I've worked, worked up there and I've seen, I mean, it's no joke. You know, you, you, anything, even the smallest deal is very And serious. if you don't report it, you're fired and you should be. I mean, that's, that's the environmental ethic as Alaskans that we have. And again, that's not to say that we should rubber stamp projects, but it is to say that we do it right. And in order to uh, maintain uh, the the lifestyle that we have, in order to keep the people here, keep our children here uh, working, we need economic opportunities and jobs for them. And there's there's a lot of opportunities, and especially in rural Alaska. Let's talk a little bit um, now. The other thing in the news is the Ocean Ranger program, which is the I guess the it was done by initiative, right? Um, yep. In 2006, it, there was an initiative that... Uh, cruise ship. Uh, a cruise ship. It was effectively sold as a $50 head tax, but they Christmas treat all sorts of additional things on onto the initiative. One of them was the Ocean Ranger program. So this is people um, on the boats, on the cruise ships, that basically monitor um, for, I guess, pollution and... Correct. For, for breaking and... The, it's paid for by a portion of that head tax. $4 per lower berth. Uh, it's about $4 million a year that the state um, and every every cruise visitor has an additional $4 added to the cost of their cruise for um, paying for the Ocean Ranger program. So in the budget, uh, Governor Dunleavy eliminated the program. He did. 
And now that's being talked about in some committees and there's been and testimony. There's a bill, there's a bill that uh, was introduced uh, to eliminate the program. We had our uh, first hearing yesterday. I thought the hearing went very well. Uh, there were a lot of great uh, thoughts and comments from committee members and from the public. And uh, I think there's a, a lot of progress being made. Uh, the No other industry in the state has 24-7 monitoring like the uh, ocean rangers do on the cruise ships. The, there isn't such thing as a mining ranger or a oil ranger or a timber ranger or a fish processing ranger. Those, those industries are regulated by DEC, and they get visits uh, on a regular basis. They get inspections on a regular basis, but nothing anywhere close to the 24-7 um, uh, monitoring that, that occurs for the Ocean Ranger program. And, you know, when the governor asked uh, me to take this position, he said, hey, Jason, you need to evaluate uh, what we can do to show Alaska's open for business. And I was, I was ready for that. So I, I asked my team, let's look at all the regulations that we have at DEC and let's see what is necessary, what isn't, what's protecting our environment, and what is just uh, red tape, regulatory red tape. Well, the Ocean Ranger program is a prime example of a, a program that is not getting the bang for the buck that we need. It's not uh, really leading to any additional environmental oversight we have the authority to board the ships and we do at any point and we don't and the ocean rangers in addition they're not even alaskans they have to be marine engineers and there's only about four of the 30 the, the every one, year the, the one guy that called in was from calling from texas galveston well galveston it, it, texas I, i'm an alaskan from galveston <laughs> texas and uh, i spend my off season as a professor down here in yeah, texas I I, <laughs> like you're an alaskan okay uh, anyway so, uh, so Eliminating the program, I mean, t tell me, you know, why that would that one, I mean, will that not affect or will that affect in any way the, the, uh, the, you know, the pollution or, cause that's a quick question. I think the average person who doesn't know about the program has, they, they say, well, well, if we do this, we're going to have, you know, they, they might be able to pollute and not get, um, caught doing that. Well, first of all, if you, I mean, the ocean rangers aren't up 24 seven, they're, uh, yeah, they're on the ships, but they might be doing a food inspection or they might be doing a, a air opacity inspection. And so if there's a concern, the thought that, you know, the if the company wanted to pollute, they could, you know, so they, they don't have 100 percent coverage. And, you know, I think it's naive of us to think that such a program and having someone there breathing over the neck of the staff on the cruise ships is actually um going to do the job. There's technology that can monitor the things. And those are some of the ideas, the great ideas that the legislators have that we're, we're absolutely going to be considering so trying to Im improve this program. What, what are the con concerns? I mean, it's, I guess it's waste is the big well, one I mean, or fuel. Are, or? The, the ocean rangers have the ability to uh, uh, monitor the air opacity, the emissions that are coming from the stacks, the, uh, the wastewater discharge, which is part of our um, uh, DEC's oversight as well. Uh, the just the full waste management on board. We also at DEC we oversee tattoo parlors, and oh really? Yeah. Oh, I think I remember that, that because somebody 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 sent me that, right. um, and I I sent it. I took a screenshot and I was like, oh my, because I have some tattoos, and I was like, maybe you should check me out. You yeah, know, make well, sure if, I'm all good. But they have the authority to go in and look at the swimming pools, the tattoo parlors, you name it, and you know it's it's a it's a program that is is unnecessary. It's, 
it's not sending, uh, it's not doing anything to add to the environmental protection. And frankly, we don't get our bang for the buck. If this was a program that was funded by the, uh, the general fund, we would have eliminated it years ago. But the, um, folks seem to think because it's paid for by uh, the cruise ship visitors that we should continue doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to be good stewards, not only of the state of Alaska money, but of the folks that are coming up here as visitors and spending money in Alaska and um, growing our tourism industry. We shouldn't be charging them for unnecessary programs like the Ocean Ranger program. It's just, it's, it's not a, it's not a a program that I think should continue. Well, there's surely more legislative testimony and well, no question, for sure. no question, and I look forward to it. And and you know, I, I I think that the discussion we had, like I said, was a very good first start, and look yeah. forward to working with with folks to try to uh, uh, eliminate the program and put new things in place if we need to. So tell me about how it's been. It's been what a few months, I guess, it's December been about three months. Three, yeah. yeah. So. Um, are you here in Juneau or mostly or Anchorage or do you go Both. back and forth? I mean, I, I've seen here. there's around 500 employees that work for DEC. So I've been to, uh, Anchorage has two or 250 folks in the office on Cordova. We have around a hundred folks down here in Juneau, around a hundred in Fairbanks. We got a office in the Valley. So I've, I've been all around the state meeting with my team. We, I mean, they're, like I said, the, the people that work for DEC are really, uh, hardworking, they're science-based, and they're doing a, a great job. I mean, I'm I'm honored to, gonna, to be able to work with them. You're going to be putting on the hard hat anytime soon, going out to the work sites? or well, Absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, we, uh, I've, I, I've been able to do a lot of that in my time at RDC, but mm-hmm. if there's inspections uh, and there's an opportunity, I'm definitely going to be part of some of the big uh, spill drills that Alieska does and that the the companies do every year and we need to be be prepared to to make uh to make sure things like the Exxon Valdez never happen again. Yeah, we're coming up on the 30th year anniversary we are, right here. We soon. are and as part been, of my role in this uh, I'm, I was on the Exxon Valdez oil spill trustee council public advisory committee for I don't know 9 years or something like that and so now that I'm in this role I'm actually a, a trustee so I get to oversee the settlement dollars there was uh something like a billion dollars in a settlement uh, that uh, around a couple hundred million dollars I've been, remain. I've been trying to contact um, Joe, uh, oh my gosh, Hazelwood, Hazelwood and uh, he's not, I can't find him. He's, he's, he was teaching at some maritime school in the East Coast, <laughs> he, he, some, I forget what it's called in New York, but I've been trying to track him down. Um, he's nowhere to be found on social media. He's no longer at the school. I was trying to uh, offer to fly him back here and interview him for the 30th year anniversary. And everyone told me, don't hold my breath on that one, but he's, uh, he's not findable. Well, you know, the, uh, it, it's not something fun to admit, but because of him, we have the precautions in place today that ensure oil is safely moved from the North slope to mm-hmm. the markets. You know, we have the double hulled tankers, we have the escort, uh, response, um, we have, you know, and, and DEC has this bill prevention and response, uh, department. It's, do, it, you, guys, do you guys, the, um, like Alaska clean seas and what's the other one? Alaska, Alaska Shadow. Are they, is yeah. that, those are private. They um, are private. Correct. But do you guys interact with them or interface with them or? Of course. Of course. I mean, and the, if there are large spills and, and you know, many of those spills come from fishing vessels and from, uh, innocent passage, uh, companies are, Boats that are going through the Aleutians. Um, so, speaking it, of that, have you seen that Ocean Paradise or what's it called? Ocean Par- that boat that's in the Juno Harbor there. Have you seen I that? I have. 
Do you know what's going on? I heard it was like abandoned, and then well, that's now the state. That's or the, the feds. Thing. The feds are saying it's a state's problem, or this. So there's like a. Do you know about that? I'm just. Curious. I, well, I, I what I know is not sufficient, but I can tell you that there's no hydrocarbons remaining in it. That's DEC's roles to ensure that there's no. Yeah, I heard they took out the. Uh, yeah, they took out the all, gas. All of that's gone. The diesel's out of it. Uh, anything else, you know, from a hydrocarbon or uh, other lubricants, et cetera, is gone. And so, uh, I would imagine since it's in zero to three, it's probably. Uh, you know, zero to three is a lot. Zero miles to three miles is Alaskan waters, and three to two hundred is federal waters. So, I don't know if that means that it's uh, the state of Alaska's responsibility. But yeah, I drive by it every. I kind of want to get on there and like do a video and be like, "We're on this boat. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's stuck here." And because I guess the guy something happened that he just he just left it there. It yeah, last I, year. I I don't know the I don't know the story, but just, we, we just wanted to ensure that there were nothing weird. nothing it's, polluting the environment. It's coming weird from seeing there. it there when you drive by. Um, so what's been like maybe. Most exciting or most surprising thing so far about on the job? Anything kind of? You know, the thing that's fascinated me is the uh, in Alaska. Obviously, we hold industry to incredibly high standards, and rightly so. But the uh, in Alaska, we don't have um, consistent application of the law across everyone. So you have people that are on fishing boats using honey buckets that are dumping raw sewage in areas where they're commercial fishing. And that's a violation of the Clean Water Act. Who was but that? everyone does it. There's 90% of the of fleet probably still uses honey buckets. And we, are, we have over 3,000 homes in Alaska that still are on honey buckets. And that's something DEC has been trying to, I, I think like, 20 years ago, it was around 30% of rural Alaska had uh, appropriate sewage and clean water. We're at around 85% today. So that's something that we're working to make sure everyone is served by uh, uh, proper sanitation, proper water and wastewater. But meanwhile, we have uh, uh, local communities and fishing boats and uh other indi- other other individuals who don't hold themselves to the highest standard that they hold uh, other industries to. So well, that that was probably that's probably been the thing that's been most intriguing to me as, since I've been on the job is learning about that. What's the proper way on a, on a boat? Kind of when you're when you're ca- like camping or in, not camping, but I guess when you're like on Denali, like pack in, pack out, or absolutely. I mean that's that's the appropriate way to do it, and and. I especially if you're a commercial business who's harvesting Alaska resources, and you're polluting every time. So who would DEC would enforce? No, that's that that's actually. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's or Coast Guard. Um, I'm I'm looking into that, but that's. Uh, I mean, it's something that we should all hold ourselves to the highest of environmental standards, and and not just certain projects. Uh, another thing I've learned is local communities, local communities. Uh, Cruise ships, for example, they, um, in a third a cup of water, when they discharge water, um, they can have 40 individual fecal coliforms per third a cup of water in the water they discharge. Certain communities, port communities that the uh, cruise ships serve, are allowed to have 1.5 million fecal coliform in a third a cup of water in the water they discharge. To 1.5 million. Million. And so these local communities hold the cruise ship industries. Uh, to a high standard, expect ocean rangers to be on them, but yet they themselves are permitted to, we permit them to 
discharge uh, water that has 1.5 million uh, fecal coliform, up to 1.5 million fecal coliform per 30 milliliters or per uh, 100 milliliters of water or a third a cup of water. So I mean, is it a, it's it's is different. It a lot? Yeah, it is a lot. It's I mean, it's a magnitude, uh, uh, orders of magnitude different than. And so we, we hold industries to an incredibly high standard, but that's a prime example of how we don't hold ourselves to that standard. And we need to. I mean, we live in the most beautiful state in the union. I'd say the most beautiful place in the world. And we, we can't just hold individual our companies to uh, the high standards. We need to hold ourselves well, to I that high that's standard. I guess classic, you know, lead by example. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why here in Juneau, I don't rent a car. I, uh, I walk to work every day. I mean, we need to make sure that we're uh, being fiscally responsible. I stay at a very cheap hotel, the, the Juno hotel, which is actually so I'm, I'm really dr- nice. I'm at the driftwood. Yeah. Which is actually really close to where we are right now. So, yep. Well, I mean, and I'm, I don't know about half mile, three quarters of a mile from here, but every morning I walk and every, uh, you know, when there's, uh, uh we need to be living by example as well. So the governor has, uh, we have a $1.6 billion, uh, problem. Obviously, we're we need to be spending within our means, and we've been spend overspending for years. And so, I'm living by example and staying at the the cheapest hotel that I can. I'm not renting a car, and I think I think it's incumbent that that you do lead by example. Well, Jason, I want to thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, this is my first. See, I've done a few in Juneau outside the Capitol, but this is my first one in the the DE Department of Environmental Conservation building. So. I gotta get you maybe like a poster or something for your wall. I don't. Well, know. I, I, one of you in a speedo, like that. That yes, I, I can. I can arrange that. Well, but, I, I appreciate all you're doing, Jeff, and the opportunity to uh, come onto the show. And it's uh, the as I as I said to many people, if people have concerns or questions or want to be heard about, that uh, they're welcome to call me, Jason Bruni at uh, Alaska gov is my email, and I'm I'm open to to chatting with people, hearing their perspectives and uh, understanding their legitimate concerns as I work through any any project that's going to be getting DEC permits. There. By the time this podcast is up, it'll have been over, but um, you have you have a hearing, another hearing tomorrow in the Senate, right? I do. No, in the in the House. Oh, had, the had, first I, one was in the Senate, right? Yep. The I House am, was having some problems for a while. They were for, for 30 a days. few days. And the House Resources Committee, uh, my, my hearing is going to be uh, 1.30, 1.30 on Friday. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually flying back to Anchorage tomorrow for uh, three or four days. So I'm going to miss it, but I'll go, I'll go back and watch it. Um, um, you've been, I think you, the first one was, I mean, you got pre- prepared, prepared, I guess, for some of the public testimony. That's sure. Isn't there a, someone told me there's a, I heard there's a lunch and learn beforehand, right? There is, there is. I think it's uh, trying to rally the troops to come so out. It's like and, a fishing and, thing, or and show me some love. I'm sure. Maybe you give them a big hug. You know, I, I'll I'll uh, I'll give them a big hug, and you know, the, if if any of them want to talk to me, I'm more than happy to talk to them. The as one well. thing about you that we go way back, and um, you've never shied away from talking to people. And I've seen it at RDC when you've been at events, and I've, I've, you've never shied away from talking. You've never been rude to people. You've never been. I mean, you've always been very approachable and very. Uh, pleasant to talk to. So. We're Alaskans. We can have differences of opinions and disagree on on certain projects or disagree on uh, what we envision the future of the state to be. But we're all passionate about trying to make the state better, trying to provide opportunities for our kids. And that's something that I'm uh, I'm passionate about as well. And I'm honored to be a part of the Dunleavy administration and look forward to uh, leading this uh, this organization for for this uh, the next four years. Jason, I appreciate you doing the podcast. I wish you the best of luck tomorrow at your confirmation hearing, and I'm sure we'll see you around Juno and Anchorage. So, 
Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chef. All right, folks, if you want to do any, have any ideas for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me uh, down the road, give me, give me a shout and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Landline.